Let's pray. Oh, God. Every Sunday morning, when I or somebody else stands up in this place and opens up your book and reads your word and begins to expound it, it's a momentous occasion. Heaven and hell stand in the balance, Lord. Whether your people grow or stay stagnant is in the balance, Lord. Your word is so powerful and it is so important to the life of your people that, Lord, we don't take it lightly. We come before you, Lord, on bended knee and we just ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to do a work today in our hearts, that you would grow your people into the image of Jesus and you'd save those who have come today who have never received the gift of eternal life. So do your work, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. This morning I want to give you a test. You're the engineer on a train and there's 36 passengers. And at your first stop, you pick up 10 passengers and let off four. At your second stop, you don't pick up any passengers, but you let off three. And on your third stop, you pick up 12 passengers and let off eight. What's the name of the engineer? 32. He got it. <laughs> What'd you say? You said, what's the name, right? Yeah. And you said, imagine that you are some of the names Kelly. There you go. Kelly got it. You're the engineer on the train is what I originally said. <laughs> but how many people didn't get it? <laughs> I didn't get it either the first time. And, and that tells me that we usually don't have a good listening skills. Because here's someone that tells us something and we know it's a test, but we don't really hear what they're saying. Um, there was a, a wife who was speaking to her husband one day and he was reading his newspaper and so she's talking to him, and he decides to put down his newspaper. He looked right into her eyes, and he listened intently. And she said, stop it. You're deliberately listening just to confuse me. <laughs> and, and isn't that kind of the truth? Have you ever been in a situation where your husband or your wife or somebody else is talking to you, and you're saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, but if they had tested you, you wouldn't have had a clue what they just said. No matter what, if, even if your life depended on it, you don't know what they just said, but you're saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you know, those poor listening skills can transfer over to our listening to God's Word. Jesus in this text is all about how we are supposed to listen to the Word of God. He says in verse 18, take care how you listen. So that's what we want to focus on this morning. And I think there's reason to do that because during the course of our Christian life, we will, we will literally spend thousands of hours listening to the Word of God. Um, think about this with me. Just add up all the hours we spend here on Sunday mornings and then at Bible studies we attend when the Word of God is being taught. Or if you listen to online sermons, which I do a lot, or if you listen to audio books where the content is Scripture, or if you listen to the Bible online or, or on your phone, I mean, you start adding up these times when you're listening to the Word of God, and over the course of your lifetime, it could literally be thousands and thousands of hours that we listen to the Word of God. But how profitable is the Word of God in our hearts as we're listening? It's going to be dependent upon 
how we listen to the Word. So we need to take some time this morning to think about how to listen to God's Word. Go back with me to chapter 8, verse 18. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 8. That's the one I wanted to mention. Chapter 8, verse 8. Jesus said, Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. I want you to pick up on the word hear as we move through this because Jesus is speaking about how we are to hear God's word. And he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or down in verse 12, those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. Or verse 13, those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no fir firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation they fall away. Or verse 14, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. Verse 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. Or, verse 18, so take care how you, what? Listen. Listen to what? The word of God. Look at verse 21. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So, last week we talked about the parable of the four soils, verses 4 to 15. And we might be tempted to think that when Jesus begins talking in verse 16, that it's a brand new subject. Because in my Bible, it's bolded, which means it's a new paragraph. And in fact, over the top of that, it says, parable of the lamp. So I'm tempted to think, okay, this is a brand new subject. But folks, it's not. It's the same subject. It's about hearing God's Word. Now, last week we talked about hearing God's Word and how the various kinds of hearts that we have will determine what that Word does in our life. For example, if we have a hard heart, the Word comes to us and it just bounces right off. It doesn't even penetrate. And the devil comes down and snatches the Word away. If we have a shallow heart, when we hear the word, we get excited and we get joyful and we receive the word, but it only lasts for a little while. It's temporary. Because when some kind of a trial or temptation comes, we fall away. If we've got a divided heart that's crowded with other things, love for the world and the things in the world, pleasures and riches, if we've got that kind of a heart, the word can get in, but it can't produce any fruit because those other things are competing for the nutrients in the soil. So the kind of heart that we have is going to determine what God's word does when it comes in. That's what Jesus was talking about in our last week's study. This week... It's a slightly different focus. We're still thinking about hearing God's word, but now Jesus says in verse 18, take care how you listen. Take care. This is something you need to be concerned about. Now, in, in Christian circles, we talk a lot about preaching. But how often have you ever heard someone give you a sermon on how to hear a sermon? How to hear the Word of God? Have you ever heard that? That's what Jesus is dealing with here. 
He says, I want you to take care, heed how you listen to God's word. So this morning, let's do that. Let's take heed to how we're listening to God's word. There's three things that Jesus is going to point out to us today in this particular text. Number one, listen to God's word so that you can spread it, verses 16 and 17. Two, listen to God's word so that you can receive it, verse 18. Three, listen to God's word so that you can obey it. That's verses 19 to 21. So let's begin then at verse 16, and let's talk about how we are to listen to God's word so that we can spread that word. Take a look at verse 16. Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now I'll just tell you right up front that not everybody agrees with the interpretation of this passage. There's lots of different ideas as to exactly what Jesus was getting at. In fact, last Tuesday morning when we had our men's prayer meeting, I was asking the guys, what do you think he means? Because <laughs> I was struggling with it and meditating on it and thinking. Well, I'm going to, after... This week of studying it, I'm going to give you the fruits of my labor, but I may not be right. You're going to have to think yourself and check the Bible and see if what I'm saying is so or not. Be good Bereans this morning. Okay. First of all, Jesus said that no one takes a lamp and covers it up. They don't put a bushel over it or a container over it or put it under the bed because why even have a lamp if you're going to cover it up? He says you put it up on a stand and that way it shines light throughout the whole house and anybody coming into the house can see where they're walking and they can see the objects in the house and it benefits everybody that's inside that house. So the first question is, what's the lamp? Jesus wanted the people he was speaking to to be thinking about this. This was an illustration. What did he mean when he talked about a lamp? You don't put the lamp under a bed. Well, what did he mean? Well, let's look at the immediately preceding context to see if we can get a clue here. Verse 15. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, after lighting a lamp, I want to try to show you the connection between verse 15 and verse 16. In verse 15, Jesus is saying there is one kind of soil that's different than all the other three. The other three never produce any fruit. They may look good from the outside, they may look like they're alive, but they don't produce any fruit, proving that they're not true converts. The fourth one's different. This guy is the real deal. He's a genuine follower of Jesus. He's been born of the Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 15, this guy has an honest and good heart. He's speaking about the kind of person who is a real Christian. Then in verse 16, he says, now no one after lighting a lamp. I want to suggest to you that the lamp here is a genuine Christian. It's the same person we were talking about in verse 15. It's someone who has been lit by God. Remember we talked about that God is the one who has to prepare this soil 
No one has a good and honest heart by nature. We're not born with good and honest hearts, are we? That comes by grace. The grace of God, the Holy Spirit, changes the heart so that we can receive the word and grow thereby. So, the person in verse 15 who has this honest and good heart, I believe, is the lamp of verse 16 that God has lit so that he can shine. I also believe that because Jesus on another occasion spoke about this lamp. It's in Matthew 5, 14 and 15. And listen to what he says here. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp. Now listen carefully to this. It's almost an exact repeat of what he says in Luke 8. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So in Matthew 5, what does the lamp represent? He said, you are the light of the world. Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus. So I think we're in safe ground when we come to Luke 8, verse 16, and we interpret the lamp as being, hopefully, us. Are you a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? Have you been born of the Holy Spirit? If so, you are a lamp that God has lit, and he intends for you to light up the whole house. He wants to use you to diffuse that light so that it spreads to other people. He doesn't want you putting your lamp under a bed somewhere where nobody can get any benefit from it. He doesn't want you as a lamp to have some kind of a container over the top. So, I mean, why have a lamp if you're going to put a container over it? It's going to do no good at all. He wants you to shine. He wants you to spread the truth that he's given to you. Now, maybe the disciples were confused at this point. Because, oh, go back to verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus says, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus is saying, my teaching has both a revealing aspect. I'm going to reveal these things to you, my disciples. But it also has a concealing aspect. I'm speaking in parables so that hearing they may not understand and seeing they may not see. You see, at this time, Jesus had enemies. The religious leaders were becoming more and more vicious in their opposition to him. At this point, they wanted to try to kill him. They just hadn't figured out how yet. And so Jesus had decided that he was going to speak in parables so that those who really did not want the word of God and they didn't want to humble themselves and follow it, they wouldn't get it. But those disciples that really did want to learn and wanted to humble themselves and follow that word, Jesus could take them aside privately and disclose to them the meaning of the parables. Now, the disciples knew that Jesus was concealing the truth from the multitude. They might have been confused. Well, Lord, does that mean that you wanted us to keep these truths secret? You've been revealing what these parables mean. Should we just keep it to ourselves and not tell anybody about it? And so Jesus, in verse 16, is telling them, no, that's not the case. I want you to be like a lamp on a lampstand, and I want you to shine those truths. Now, this would not take place until after Jesus died and rose again. But after Jesus comes back from the grave, he gives his disciples this command, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. 
So no, they're not supposed to keep it a secret. Now, in verse 10 of Luke chapter 8, Jesus said that the things that are hidden are going to become evident. The things that are secret are going to be revealed. And so as Jesus was speaking in parables, the truth was hidden from many people. The truth was secret from many people. That's why he says, let me go back there in verse 17. Nothing is hidden that will not become evident. These truths have been hidden from many people, but they're going to become evident. That's why I want you to be like a lamp on a lampstand, shining your light. And nothing is secret that will not be made known and come to light. Yes, I've been keeping some of these truths a secret from the religious leaders, but in the future, you are going to be my lamps to shine that light and to take those secret truths that I've given to you and display them before everybody, all creation in the world. So do you see how verse 16 and 17 fit together? And verse 16, that's our command. Be lights, shine your light. Why? Because I want you to reveal the things that have been hidden up till now. I want you to reveal the things that have been secret up until now. Now, Jesus did say on another occasion, Matthew 10, verse 27, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. So Jesus had been whispering in their ear. He'd been telling them things in the dark, figuratively speaking. He'd been drawing them aside, away from the religious leaders, and uncovering the truths of the parables. So what you've heard in your ear, whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. And that would take place after Jesus died and rose again. In Palestine, there's two great bodies of water. On the north, we have the Sea of Galilee. And then if you travel south... You come to another great body of water. Do you know what the name of that one is? It's the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee and then the Dead Sea. Now, if you were to go to the Sea of Galilee and walk around the perimeter, you'd see all kinds of trees and lush foliage and plant life. And if you were to fish there, you'd find that there's lots of fish, lots of animals. But if you go just south, I don't know, 100, 200 miles, you're going to come to the Dead Sea and around the Dead Sea, there's no plant life, there's no lush foliage, and there's no fish. In fact, any fish that somehow swim into this Dead Sea instantly die. They're crystallized with salt, and they're washed up on the beach. There's a very, very high salt content. But something that's really interesting about the, the Dead Sea is that it has an inlet, but there's no outlet. The Sea of Galilee has an inlet. It's the River Jordan, and then the River Jordan flows out of the bottom side. So it comes in, it flows out, but the River Jordan flows into the Dead Sea, and it stops. There's no outlet. And so that water has stagnated and become dead. Nothing can live in it anymore. And I think that illustrates well that if you are a Christian that constantly hears the Word, but never does anything with it, you're like the Dead Sea. <coughs> You become stagnant. You're shriveling up. And you will shrivel up and become kind of a, a, a dead believer unless there is an outlet for the truth that you're hearing. God never intended for you to come here Sunday by Sunday by Sunday and listen and never do anything with the truths that you're hearing. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to be thinking as you're driving here on Sunday morning, okay, Lord, I'm going to hear from you today. 
Who can I teach it to? Can I teach my children when we have family devotions together? Can I host a neighborhood Bible study and invite my neighbors over and teach some of the things I'm learning on Sundays? Um, can I start a, a lunchtime Bible study at work? I did this when I lived in Hayward. It was great. We had three or four people that would come every lunchtime and we would just study the Bible one day a week. Who is it that I can teach? Who is it that I can shine the truth that God has put in my heart? He's lit this lamp. It's for the purpose of diffusing the light. Who is it that I can get it out to? Who can I spread it to? So let me just ask you this morning, if you were to compare yourself with a 25 watt or 150 watt light bulb, which one would you be? How brightly are you shining God's truth that you hear? Are, are you doing anything to disseminate truth? Or is it just bottling up inside of you and staying there? Not really doing anybody else any good? I want to challenge you this morning. Find somebody. <laughs> you can always find somebody that knows less than you. Find them and say, God has been teaching me some wonderful things out of the Bible. I want to share them with you. Whoever that person might be. So there we have his first aspect of how we are to listen to the word. We're to listen to it so that we can spread it. Now number two, we're to listen to God's word so that we can receive it. Look at verse 18. So take care how you listen for, why are we to listen? Here it comes, for whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. So the second reason we are to listen carefully is because to him more shall be given if he listens correctly. If he doesn't listen and take heed to what he's listening, it may prove that he doesn't really have it all. He only thinks he has something and that eventually everything's going to be stripped away from him. Now, who is this person? The person who thinks he has, but eventually everything's taken away from him. Well, I want you to think with me about this. The first three soils that Jesus just got done talking about, each one of those soils thought they had something. The hard soil. They thought they had the word, but they didn't have it long, did they? The devil scooped them up and took the word away real quick. The second soil, the shallow soil, they thought they had the word too. And they thought they had true faith and real joy, but they only had it for a little while. And then it was gone, and they fell away. The word was taken from them. The third kind of soil, the thorny soil, they thought they had the word, but not really, because by virtue of the fact that that soil was filled with thorns competing for the nutrients and the water, it bore no fruit. And so the fruit was taken from them. They thought they had something, but in the end they had nothing. Even what they thought they had was taken away. Now, who is the person that Jesus says that has and that more shall be given to him? Well, go back in our scripture, Luke chapter 8, to verse 8. At the very end of that verse, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he says, Whoever has, to him more shall be given. Has what? Has ears to hear. Did you know not everybody has ears to hear? 
Everybody, well, I guess most everybody, has physical ears on the side of their head. But that's different from having an ear to hear. An ear to hear means you, you hear with your heart. It means you love the truth. There's a scripture in 2 Thessalonians that says that they did not love the truth so as to be saved, and so they perished. Not everybody loves the truth. Not everybody even likes the truth. Not everybody prizes and values and, and cherishes the truth. If you have an ear to hear, you're one of those persons that Jesus said, he who has, to him more shall be given. Look over at verse 15. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. The second thing about this person, not only does he have an ear to hear, he has an honest and a good heart. And he has that by the sheer grace of God. God has so changed his heart. He's regenerated him, made him new in Christ, that his heart's been changed. The old stony heart's gone, the heart of flesh has come in. God has done that. So, he who has ears to hear, he who has an honest and good heart, that person is going to receive more. More shall be given to him. But it is dependent, verse 18 says, on how he listens. Do you remember Jesus said in this parable of the soils that some will produce 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold? I believe that the, the fruit, the amount of fruit that we produce as Christians can be directly tied back into verse 18. Take care how you listen. If you listen well, and we're going to talk about what that means in a minute, you can produce more fruit than if you listen haphazardly or in a cavalier fashion, not really giving it your full attention. So take care how you listen. Why? Because if you have been given a new spiritual ear to hear, if you have been given an honest and good heart, you can receive more. Do you want to receive more of God's truth? Do you want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to become someone who can um, bring out of his treasure things new and old? He's talking there about disciples who are like scribes who have these treasure chests and they can take things out of this treasure chest and they can give them out. Do you want to be able to give out treasures, spiritual treasures to people from God's word? Then you need to take care how you listen, Jesus says here. Now we need to listen to God's word when it's being preached or taught to us as if our life depended upon it. Because in a real sense, it does. I think it would do us well if every Sunday morning before we came to church, we started talking to our soul. And we said, soul, you are going to live on forever. Either in infinite happiness or unspeakable misery. You are not going to cease to exist. You are immortal. You are going to live on forever. Either with God, enjoying God, in His fullness, in His glory, and having an exciting eternal future with love personified. Either that, or you're going to be in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness and lake of fire. 
It's one of the two. Speak to your soul this way. And so soul, listen when the word is proclaimed. Listen as though your eternal life depended upon it. Because it does. For the Christian, whether we're going to bear fruit depends upon how we listen. And for a non-Christian, whether they end up in heaven or hell depends on how they listen to the word of God. So, do you have salvation this morning? But you want more of the riches of salvation? Take care how you listen. Do you have peace, but you want more peace? Take care how you listen. Do you have some measure of joy, but you want a greater measure of joy? Well, then take care how you listen. Have you received God's grace, but you'd like to experience more of His grace? Take care how you listen. It's all tied up with listening and how we listen. And so let me give you five simple tips on how, when the, the Word of God is preached and taught, you can benefit from it. You can profit from it. Number one, listen intently. Listen intently. If you're thinking about everything else under the sun and checking your watch and wondering, when is this thing going to be over? You're, you're not listening in a way that's going to profit you. Let's say you're grandfather who was a multi-millionaire passed away and the lawyer called you up and said I want you to meet me down here with all of your other brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles because the will is going to be read do you think you'd pay attention when that will was read or do you think you'd be watching your watch and thinking about everything else under the sun I, I don't care how boring the lawyer was and how much of a monotone he spoke in you would be intensely listening because you want to know if you have any participation in that in your grandfather's estate, right? Well, this Bible is filled with God's riches for us. And we ought to be intently listening whenever God's word is preached to know what God has bequeathed to us. So listen intently. Number two, listen reverently. And what I mean by that is listen believing that what is being read and spoken if it's being preached accurately, is the very word of God. Over in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was praising them because he said, when I preached to you the word of God, you received it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God. So they received God's word reverently. So you should tell yourself, in just a few moments, God is going to speak. You know, if the person preaching is accurately preaching the Word of God, it's just as if Jesus Christ Himself in the flesh walked up here and gave the sermon. Because God speaks through His Word. Now, I'm not saying any human being is infallible in their, their preaching. They're not. That's why you need to be Bereans and you need to be thinking Christians. But, if that Word is being preached faithfully and accurately then you ought to sit, put yourself under it reverently as though God himself is speaking from heaven to your soul. Thirdly, listen humbly. Listen humbly. Now what I mean by that is that we ought not to be too proud to have God correct us. We ought not to be too proud to think, well, I've got all this stuff down. I don't need God to speak to me anymore. Over in James it says, In humility receive the word engrafted, which is able to save your souls. We need a humble heart if we're going to profit from the preaching of God's word. So come with a humble heart, not a proud heart, a humble heart. Thirdly, 
listen biblically. Biblically. And what I mean by that is put your Bible filter on your head. When anyone starts preaching, you need to be asking yourself, is what they're saying, does that jive with the rest of the Bible? Or is this some new novel idea this guy's come up with that can't be supported from the rest of Scripture? Just as we just finished talking, we need to be Bereans. They examined the word daily to see whether the things Paul was preaching were so or not. So when you come, be a thinking Christian. Don't check out your brains. If I tell you something, don't just accept it. Ask yourself, well, is what Brian's saying true? Can that be verified anywhere else in the Scripture? Does that sound like the character of God in the rest of the Bible that I've come to know? So think. Think biblically. And then fifthly, listen prayerfully. Do you pray before you even come here and ask God to show you something that's going to impact your life? and make you stronger and conform you to the image of Jesus? You know, that should be the pattern of our life. Before we even get here, before I even pray, you, you're already prayed up because you want to hear from God. So, listen intently, listen reverently, listen humbly, listen biblically, and listen prayerfully. Take care how you listen. Listen so that we can receive more from God. Now, thirdly, we need to listen to God's word so that we can obey it. So that we can obey it. And this comes from verses 19 to 21, which is a little story, a little vignette in the life of Jesus that comes on the heels of his teaching. And it illustrates, I think that's why Luke puts it right there, because it illustrates, it illustrates exactly what Luke was just saying about how we need to take care of how we listen. And in this little story, Jesus has throngs of people around him. At this point in his ministry, he was very popular. People were being healed all the time, and so all the sick were streaming to be with him because they wanted to be healed. And so wherever he went, he had this trail of people following him around. Now, in verses 19 to 21, he's in a house because in the text it's going to tell us that uh, he did not go outside to speak to his mothers and brothers. So he is inside. Evidently, he's inside a home. And that house is jam-packed to the rafters. There is no room for anybody to get near. Jesus' mother and brothers come to him, and we'll find out why in just a minute, but they couldn't get in. And so they sent a message. Mary sent a message into Jesus that they, they, she wanted to talk to him. And Jesus, instead of going out to her, waves his hand at all the people that were there around him, and he says, well, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? It's those who hear the word of God and do it. And do it. They obey it. Now, let's ask yourself this question. Why was Mary and Jesus' brothers coming for him? If you go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, we get the answer there. It says, And he, that is Jesus, came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people, that's his family, when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. So Mary evidently thought that Jesus had snapped. He had just gone crazy because he wasn't even taking time to eat anymore. He couldn't take time to eat. The crowds were so thick and there are so many needs and so many people and so many 
uh, sermons that needed to be delivered and so many people that needed to be ministered to that, that Jesus just was pouring himself on behalf of the people. And Mary, as his mom, was concerned. You moms think about your sons, your grown sons. We're still concerned about them, even though they're grown up, right? And so she's just doing what a mom would do. She's coming because she thinks... He, he's, he's just snapped. I, I need to help him. I need to get him away from these crowds. They were going to take custody of Jesus. In other words, kind of arrest him and get him out of there so that the multitudes couldn't harass him anymore. Now what's interesting is that when Mary sent a message into Jesus that she wanted to talk to him, what does Jesus do? Does he say, um, excuse me, all of you, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to stop my teaching at this point. My mom really needs me to go check in with her. I'll be back in a few minutes. Doesn't do that, does he? He just keeps talking, keeps teaching, and he uses that as an illustration to tell them, hey, you can be as close to me as my very own mother. You can have the kind of intimacy with me that my mother has if you're willing not only to hear the word of God, but then to do it. Now, I want to segue a little bit here and, and teach a little bit on something that comes up from this text. It's the fact that Jesus had brothers. Did you see that in the text? Let's find it. Verse 19. And his mother and brothers came to him. Do you believe that Jesus had brothers? Well, the Bible says it, doesn't it? The reason I bring this up is because there are some believers within Christendom, Catholic and Orthodox believers, who deny that Jesus had any brothers through Mary. They believe that, well, maybe Joseph was married before and he had some kids and when he got married to Mary, he brought his kids with him. Or they say, well, maybe they just adopted. Mary never had these, these boys of her own. They just adopted them. And still others say, no, these are not real brothers of Jesus. These are his cousins because the original word could allow for that. But folks, that is straining. I mean, if we just read it for what it says, we have to strain real hard to come up with any other interpretation other than the fact that Mary had other children other than Jesus. Now over in Matthew chapter 1, it says that Mary did not have sexual relations with Joseph until Jesus was born. Well, the word until implies that she did have that afterwards. And in fact, if she did not, she would be sinning. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says that a wife is not to withhold herself sexually from her husband. Now, why do the Orthodox and the Catholic believers say that Mary was a perpetual virgin? There actually is a very good reason for it. It's because they believe that a celibate lifestyle is a more holy lifestyle than someone who's married. This came in very early, like 200 AD, 300 AD, and the... Um, the monastic movement began where people would go out and live in monasteries and that's why you have priests and nuns today that don't marry. They believe this is a more holy way of living. Uh, you're closer to God if you stay celibate, they say. And so they have such an elevated view of Mary that they have to believe that she was celibate. This is what the Orthodox and the Catholics believe about Mary. They call her the mother of God. They say she's the queen of heaven. They call her the co-redemptrix. 
Now, I don't know if you understand that word, but co-redemptrix means that they believe that it wasn't enough for Jesus to die for your sins. Mary has an essential part in your redemption. And apart from what Mary can do for you, you cannot be saved. Now, I will be fair here. Not all Catholics believe that. Not, and Orthodox believers don't believe that either. It's just some Catholics, but some do. Some hold that view. So this, they have a very elevated view of Mary. That's why um, she's prayed to. That's why she is revered and adored and by some worshipped. Um, that's why they believe that she never sinned. I don't know if you know this, but they don't believe Mary ever sinned in her entire life. And they don't believe she died either. They believe she ascended to heaven just like Jesus. You see, if she's a co-redemptrix, she has to be just like Jesus. And because Jesus never sinned, then Mary could never have sinned. Because Jesus ascended to heaven, then Mary has to ascend to heaven. And so these, these doctrines that I'm telling you about are not found in the Bible. You, can, you can't find one syllable of the fact that Mary never sinned or that she ascended to heaven. It's just not there. In fact, the Bible says Mary in her own words calls God her Savior. And if she never sinned, why does she... How, how can God possibly be her Savior if she never sinned? I, I only point these out because we need to understand truth from error. And if some part of the Christian church is teaching things that don't line up with the Bible, we need to make sure we understand that those things are not taught in Scripture. And then we need to ask ourselves, okay, what is my final authority? If my final authority is the church and what the church says, well, then maybe I'm going to believe those things. But if I believe that the Bible is the final authority, which I do, then I have to reject the things that are not taught in the Word of God, and I must hold fast to those doctrines that are. Folks, people are fallible. Martin Luther said this when he was called before the cardinals and the religious leaders. He said, men can make mistakes. How can I put my blind trust in what men have said I am bound to the Word of God alone. I take my stand there. I can do no other. And that's what every one of us, I believe, needs to do. What does this book, what does the Bible, God's book, say? Because therein is truth. Jesus said, Thy word is truth. If you want to know what is truth and you want to have an anchor for your soul, go to the book and study it and read it over and over and over. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Make it part of your life. The warp and woof of your spiritual life and you will not be led astray. But if you listen to men, you'll be deceived. Okay, let's get back. That was just a little segue. We need to listen to God's word according to Jesus Christ in order to obey it. It's absolutely vital, isn't it? Do you remember back in chapter 6, Jesus gave us that illustration of the two builders and they're both building houses and one builds on the rock and one builds on the sand? The only difference between these two guys was that one heard his teaching and did not act in accordance with it and the floods came and washed it away and the other one heard Jesus' teaching and did act in accordance with it and when the floods came, his house stood whether you stand in the judgment or fall in the judgment is going to be dependent upon did you obey the word or did you just hear it? Can I say that any stronger than that? 
whether you go to heaven or hell, if you're on your way to heaven, you will be an obeyer of the word. Now, not perfectly, but that's your heart. You want to, and when you don't, you repent, and you ask for forgiveness, and you say, Lord, please give me grace to obey you again. I'm sorry that I have failed you in this instance. You're a repenter, you're an obeyer. I'm going to call you an obeyer. <laughs> that, that's the heart of a, a child of God. He wants to obey Jesus Christ. But the person who just hears the word, maybe you come week after week after week on Sundays, but you never put anything into practice. You never do it. We talk about God's will week after week, but you hear it, but you never actually do anything with it. That's a really, really dangerous sign that perhaps you're not His at all. <clears throat> Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He expects disciples to obey Him. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So all this points to the vital aspect of obedience in the Christian life. Not to get saved. We're saved by God's grace. But it is an evidence that God has saved you. If obedience doesn't flow from your life, you need to question, well, maybe God never saved me to begin with. Because I would have that heart that wants to obey. And if I don't have that heart, I need it. I, I, I'm without it. I, I need to start asking God to give it to me. Over in James chapter 1, James says this, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. What does that word delude mean? Deceive. deceive. James knew that some people would deceive themselves. They would say, well, I'm going to heaven. I talked to three or four people yesterday at the light world. All of them tell me they're going to heaven. 99% of the people you talk to think they're going to heaven. Most of them have deluded themselves because Jesus says the way is narrow. Few are those who find it. Not many, not most, not 99%. There's a small minority that actually find the way to life. So either Jesus was lying or we're lying or we're deceived. Most people are deluded. They're deceived. Let's start again. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now let's say you get up in the morning, you go stand in front of your mirror, and you notice you've got all these whiskers that you need to shave off. And you notice your top button is unbuttoning. In fact, you've got them all messed up. You've got to undo those buttons and do it right. Your hair is going every five ways, right? And you've got dirt on your face. And then you walk away from the mirror and you go about your way. He says, that's what it's like for you to come and hear the word and not do what you've just heard with it. The, the, the word is like a mirror that exposes what we really look like. It exposes our true condition before God. So we are to hear the word so that we can do something with the word that we've heard. It would be just as foolish for us to come here and hear the word of God and walk away and do nothing with it as it would for you to go stand in front of the mirror, see how horrible you look, and walk away doing nothing to improve the way you look. 
Jesus teaches us, take care how you listen. Listen so that you can spread the truth. Listen so that you re can receive more of the truth. Listen so that you can obey the truth. And I want you just to, in these final moments, just ask yourself, how am I doing with that? Do I come to listen so that I can spread it? Do I listen so that I can receive more of it? Do I listen so that I can obey it? If you do, there's going to be two positive effects in your life. Number one, it's going to give you assurance of salvation, which we all desperately want and need. By that I mean, by putting the word into practice, it's going to bring assurance that yes, I'm one of God's. It's going to make your calling and election sure. And number two, it's going to cause your Christian life to be fruitful and abounding and joyful and full of the grace of God. You're going to be able to enjoy the best possible life here and enjoy heaven when you die. So there's really nothing better than that. I encourage, I exhort, I challenge you to begin to take heed how you listen to God's word. And Lord, we come to you to ask you to seal and apply and work in hearts today so that we would not just be deluded hearers. Lord, as we open up our Bible and read it, and actually even read it out loud, and we're, we're hearing the word, I pray that we would hear it so that we put it in practice. And as we hear it preached through online sermons or through our own church on Sunday, Lord, help us to hear so that we may put it in practice. Do this good, wonderful work in the hearts of your people, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.